right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's going on? Welcome in to to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out. And you know what that means. It's Nick Chalk Sports Talk here on RCST today. However, I have received information suggesting that Derek will be returning on Monday. Now, the question is, will Nick Chalk Sports Talk allow Derek to return? Well, I guess you have to wait and find out on Monday. Because Derek's not here right now. So it is another edition here today of RCST. Another packed show here on this Friday. Tons to get to uh, this afternoon. We're going to preview KU and West Virginia. That game coming up tomorrow and also some big news in the last few hours early this afternoon pertaining to the Kansas women's basketball game against Kansas State coming up. We'll get to that later on here in the 3 o'clock hour. Also had a chance to hear from Bill Self yesterday before the team left for Morgantown, West Virginia. So we'll get a chance to play that coming up in the 3 o'clock hour. At 4.05, Graham Doran of Graham Doran Bracketology is going to join the show. Talk a little bit about how things are shaping up. I mean, listen, we're less than two months away from March. So... Never too early to start uh, talking bracketology. So excited to have Graham come on the show. Check out his work, Graham Doran Bracketology, on social media. Uh, Chiefs-Bills, big game coming up on Sunday. You'll be able to hear that game, by the way, right here on KLWN with uh, Westwood One's broadcast coverage. Uh, so that we'll talk about that in the 4 o'clock hour. Got to get to our game picks. Also, Rock Chalk Pickahawk plus KU game picks. And also, Nick Timberlake met with the media ahead of the West Virginia game. We'll get to that later on in the show as well. So... As always, tons to get to here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, and Rock Chalk Sports Talk is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. Right off the top here, Kansas men's basketball on the road for the second time this week, this time in Morgantown. Let's take on the West Virginia Mountaineers, a place where they have not had a lot of success, actually. In fact, it's uh, Bill Self, it's his worst win percentage of any of the other uh, Big 12 road venues that he has coached at. But this is a decidedly different West Virginia team than what we are used to seeing in the past with uh, with no Bob Huggins there now after everything that kind of went down over the offseason. Our game previews, as always, are presented by CBB Analytics. They've got shot charts that are pretty popular on social media, and maybe you've seen them but didn't know the source. Well, it's CBB Analytics. If you're a diehard college basketball fan and you're, you're going to love this website, it's a deeper dive into how CBB does all or it's a deeper dive into the numbers for college basketball than any other website. They do all the little things right. They have color coded ranks and percentiles, and they are used by more than 30 D1 coaching staffs at CBBAnalytics.com. All right, as always, first off, the importance of this game for Kansas. It's their second road game of the week, as I said, after a dominating performance against Oklahoma State. And I talked about the talked about this on the show yesterday as it pertains to the race for the Big 12 title. You can't. There's no games off. There's no games off if you are going to be legitimately pushing for the Big 12 title. And also, road wins are worth so much. It doesn't matter the level of your opponent. It doesn't matter who you beat. 
winning on the road is very, very important and can go a long way in terms of putting you in position to pursue that Big 12 title, which, of course, is what Kansas wants to do. So uh, from this, from that standpoint, every road game, I think, takes on critical importance for, uh, going forward because the more of those that you can stack up, the more leeway it gives you and kind of the more room, wiggle room it gives you as well. And, and again, you've already got a one-game lead on Houston who looks like they're going to be the biggest threat, and you want to keep extending that lead if you can before we get into February uh, in which KU's schedule is really, really going to toughen up. So... This becomes an important game. And Bill Self kind of talked about it, though, towards the end of uh, his press conference, which we'll get to later on this hour, about how even when it feels like, even when you're looking at the schedule and you think, okay, we're going to have a moment to sort of breathe here, it ne- never ends up being the case because teams will play up. Teams are going to get excited, especially when you're on the road and when you have that Kansas across the front of your jersey. Teams are, are, going, are going to get up for you. And so Kansas can't take this opponent lightly in West Virginia. And this is a West Virginia team that, as I said, they are a bit difficult to figure out. They're 6-11 and right now, 1-3 and in conference play. Their one win did come at home against Texas, who just lost at home against UCF. So, I don't know, maybe Texas is not as good as we think. But this is a West Virginia team that has been through a lot over the last 12 months, basically. You got all the Bob Huggins stuff that happened. Uh, then, they, then Josh Eilert is named the head coach. And then you have this situation with... They've dealt with injuries. They've dealt with eligibility issues. They haven't really been able to even play a game this season yet where they've kind of had their full complement of players really fully playing together. Uh, so it's it's really hard to gauge really kind of where this team is at right now. Uh, so keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. The one thing that's interesting is they've had 11 different players start at least one game this season. 11 different players. KU doesn't even have 11 scholarship players. and this And these guys have started 11 different players. Uh, to give you kind of an indication of maybe what they've been dealing with on the injury front. And uh, they had, you know, Raekwon Battle was not really eligible. Then he was. Now he's playing. So they've dealt with a lot of adversity so far this season. And I think maybe you just look at the record and say, well, these guys are 6-11, and 11, you know, 1-3 and three in conference. They must stink. Uh, that's maybe not entirely the case, or you certainly don't want to overlook them, especially uh, in Morgantown. So the, the biggest difference between this WV, WVU team, as I kind of talked about, there's no Bob Huggins, right? And with Bob Huggins, it was press Virginia. It was rough and tumble. It was you're, you're going to get beat up. They're going to play tight defense. They're going to try to turn you over. This iteration of West Virginia does not do that really that that well, at least. They don't force a lot of turnovers like maybe we're used to seeing from previous uh, West Virginia squads. They're just 282nd in the country in defensive turnover percentage. And they're actually bottom 30 in the country in steal percentage. So they do not force turnovers like maybe you would expect a uh, typical West Virginia team to do in the past. Uh, so that's kind of not really their their calling card anymore. Uh, they're the lowest rated team uh, by Ken Palm in the Big 12 by uh, quite a wide margin. They are sitting at 141. And by comparison, Oklahoma State was the previous team that was – or Oklahoma State's the second worst team in the conference. And they are now sitting at – let's see. They're now sitting at 115. So they're 36 spots worse than, than uh, Oklahoma State. And I kind of talked about this earlier in the week when, when talking about the Oklahoma State game for Kansas, is when you look at the Big 12 by Ken Palm, oh, there's a significant, significant drop-off from the top 12 teams down to where West Virginia and Oklahoma State are. And obviously, there's a significant drop-off from Oklahoma State to West Virginia. I mean, West Virginia is 26 spots behind Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's sitting at 115. The next lowest-rated team on Ken Palm is UCF, but they're 74th. So think about that. They are almost 70 spots ahead of where West Virginia is in in, uh, in Ken Palm. So 
it's been a certainly a rough road for West Virginia. Uh, no pun intended there with country roads. It's been a rough rough country road uh, for West Virginia so far this season. Like I said, they did manage to upset Texas at home uh, back on uh, January 10th, or excuse me, back on January 13th, just uh, last weekend. Uh, but that's their only win in conference play. They got blasted by Houston in Houston. They lost by 14 against Kansas State at home. They get the win against Texas. And against Oklahoma, they lose by 14. Kind of just got wore down. It was kind of a closer game at half. They were only down four at half. But Oklahoma just kind of wore them down and, and ended up beating them by 14. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been tough. It's been tough for this team so far. Uh, and the biggest news really for, for West Virginia is they have not had Jesse Edwards. And it doesn't sound like he's going to play for this game against Kansas. Uh, he's their the transfer from Syracuse, who uh, is a center, really good. Uh, their head coach Josh Eilert actually said on one of their radio shows last night that he was going to be re- that Edwards was going to be reevaluated this morning, and that kind of suggests to me that he's probably not going to be able to play. Uh, Josh Eilert said exact what this is exactly what he said. This is a direct quote. We will have more clarity on that tomorrow morning and get a more of a timeline for rehab. That that doesn't indicate to me that Edwards is going to be in any sort of shape to play against uh, against Kansas coming up. And he's been out for the last, I think, five games for them uh, for West Virginia. So it's not so much of an issue of they maybe don't know how to handle not playing with him. But, I mean, think about that for a second. We, you know, we've talked about this in the past with the Big 12 and Hunter Dickinson in the sense that there are not a lot of Big 12 teams that would have necessarily a guy at the five position that can go toe-to-toe with Hunter Dickinson in terms of physicality, size, and skill. And if there was one guy in the league that you think maybe could do that, it would be Jesse Edwards, and he's not going to be able to play, right? So a really, really big loss for West Virginia and a big boost for Kansas, certainly. That's sort of uh, the one guy that uh, that you feel like maybe could possibly match up against Hunter Dickinson. It would, it would seem to me as though he's not going to play, right? I mean, when they say you're going to look at your wrist and get a, get a timeline for rehab, the, you know, two nights before the game – less than 48 hours before the game, that doesn't sound like a guy that's going to be playing. So uh, that's a big boost for Kansas, certainly, that Edwards is not going to play. And against West Virginia and against Oklahoma, West Virginia's most recent opponent, they were out-rebounded 33-19 to by, uh, by Oklahoma without Jesse Edwards. So certainly that's a, that's a big, big hit uh, for West Virginia. Edwards had been averaging, is averaging 14.8 points per game, but more importantly, 8.7 rebounds per game. Right, so they don't they don't have anybody on their roster averaging more than four point six rebounds per game after Edwards, so that's clearly going probably going to be a big issue for them against Kansas, uh, assuming he's not able to play. So a big loss for West Virginia there. Uh, in terms of what to look for offensively for them, Raquan Battle is is definitely the guy to keep an eye on. As I said, he's the guy that wasn't eligible then became eligible with the NCAA court ruling BS that's going on. Uh, Battles played in seven games for them, averaging 19 points per game. Uh, I think sometimes, though, if you've watched West Virginia, it seems like Battle has a tendency to try to play Superman and basically just try to do everything himself. And that's that has really backfired in some games. You look at the West Virginia game against Oklahoma; they just played earlier in the week. Battle was four of 13 from the floor, uh, two of eight from three, so just kind of chucking and wasn't really hitting. Uh, so I'll be curious to see how KU defends him. You would think Kevin McCoy would draw the assignment uh, on battle. 
uh, because of the fact that he is listed at six five, right? So you probably wouldn't. I mean, I you wouldn't want you wouldn't want Furphy on him. And I know there's been a lot of talk about how Furphy's defense isn't nearly as bad as as maybe people think it is or want to think it is. But uh, you would I would assume you would put Kevin McCullough on him. But yeah, so Battle transferred from Montana State, who uh, was very good at Montana State. And goes to West Virginia, couldn't get eligibility, but has since played in seven games and uh, is is a guy that is that really, like I said, on one hand, I think he can be the catalyst for their offense, but on the other hand, I think sometimes he maybe detracts from the team offense that West Virginia would probably want to be the most successful. Uh, so that's that would be my thing to keep an eye on with Raekwon Battle. Uh, he's not shot the ball from he's not shot the ball well from three at all since since playing just under twenty six percent. And as I said, he's coming off of a coming off of a poor shooting night against Oklahoma, uh, to say the least. So, and collectively as a team, West Virginia is not a good three point shooting team. They're a bottom fifty in the country in three point percentage. Uh, Kirk Carissa, the transfer from Arizona, has shot it pretty well on not a ton of volume 52, temp, 52 attempts on the season for uh, Carissa at 37% from three. Um, their volume shooter is Quinn Slazinski. He has attempted 30 more threes than Carissa has, but he's only shooting just over 30% from three. So the guy that's that's do, shooting a lot of volume has is, is not very good, basically. So they are not a good three-point shooting team. Which you know, KU fans hear that and they think, "Oh boy, okay, here we go. Some guy who's gonna who shoots like nineteen percent is gonna hit like four threes, maybe, <laughs> maybe." But uh, the 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 numbers indicate that they are not a good uh, three point shooting team, really at all. And uh, Kirk Carissa, the transfer from Arizona, he's only played in eight games. I think he maybe maybe might have had some eligibility questions as well, but he's just under thirty seven percent from the floor, so he's not. In fact, he's he's basically only shooting threes uh, since he's since he's joined the team. On he's got 64 attempts for the whole season, field goal attempts. 52 have been three point shots. So he's really been a perimeter shooter, and he's been like I said, 37. percent That's not bad, but uh, it's it's on a, I guess a little bit of a lower volume considering uh, considering overall what he what he could be, but. Yeah, so the real question with with West Virginia is what their lineup is going to be and how they're going to play, especially if they have, without Jesse Edwards. Their other kind of big man is uh, Pat Sumrick or Pat Sumnick, who uh, I think was also playing hurt against Oklahoma and didn't have a very great game. He's he's a bigger guy and probably at six eight two thirty five and is probably a bit slower. And I don't I I mean with no Jesse Edwards, I would I guess he would play at the five. I'm uh, not hundred not totally sure. They've got another guy. Uh, Harris, who's a bigger guy as well, that they could possibly uh, throw in the middle. Uh, let's see, Harris is at six seven two fifteen, so smaller. Uh, maybe he matches up against against KJ Adams, but again, it feels like Kansas should have a really strong rebounding advantage. Certainly, considering some of the struggles that West Virginia has had with the absence of Jesse Edwards in a West Virginia's lineup, so. This feels like a game where it is going to be more of the same for West Virginia, where they are not going to have their full complement of players uh, at playing at, at a high level. So I guess that's good news for Kansas. Uh, on top of that, defensively for Edwards, not only is it a big loss in terms of rebounding, but also in the last five games, since he hasn't played in the last couple games, in the last five games, teams are shooting 75% at the rim against against West Virginia, 
what is the one thing that Kansas has been really, really good at? Shooting at the rim. <laughs> so you think that would continue in a game like this where they should have some pretty good size advantage and good matchups. Uh, in terms of what West Virginia does well, they don't really do anything well, to be honest. I mean, not, I mean, they they're they're pretty decent. They're an okay defense. Like they're pretty good on two point defense. The three point defense is okay, I guess. Uh, they don't again. They don't really force a lot of turnovers. They have a very low steal percentage. Uh, so, I mean, I guess their defense would be their 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 calling card because they are. Like I said, bottom 50 in the country in three-point percentage on offense. And they are not a particularly efficient two-point offense either. Uh, they're in the bottom 60 of that, uh, bottom 65, basically, of, of effective field goal percentage in terms of their efficiency. So, and I think a lot of that has to do with battle, like I said. Kind of, sometimes it seems like he's maybe tries to do too much. But, I don't know. This is this is kind of a, this is kind of a bad team. And I know I kind of led this off by saying, Hey, you don't want to over you don't want to underestimate them, like even though they're six and eleven, but they really have they really are a team that has just been in disarray. But listen, anytime Kansas comes to town, whether it's Morgantown, whether it's Austin, Manhattan, Ames, whatever, you know there's gonna be a crowd there to support, uh, and you know that the they're that they're gonna have a good environment. So I don't know, but this this does feel like a game where for Kansas, if you handle business, don't get flustered, get a strong start to keep the crowd kind of mitigated uh then it should be another game like maybe not qu not quite to the level of the Oklahoma State game but a game where I think you would expect Kansas to be comfortably ahead and keep them at arm's length for a majority of the game uh I would expect West Virginia to have a better and more energized crowd than what Kansas faced in Stillwater and you think about that game against Oklahoma State it was on a weeknight it was uh during a kind of a cold and snowy town now I, I think Morgantown's getting snow too but it's on a Saturday afternoon and listen as somebody who's been to Morgantown, there ain't a lot else to do up there. So I'd imagine that there's going to be people going to the game for sure. Uh, the one thing about Morgantown that I don't that I don't like at all is, or I don't know, maybe this is my fault. Uh, when I went there for, for a game, I was not prepared, and maybe I should have been, for this stupid musketeer, the stupid mountaineer musket guy to shoot that off. Dude, inside... It is horrible. It was so loud. I was I nearly jumped out of my chair, out of my pants. I was so scared. Uh, I'm not I don't not a big fan of loud noises to begin with. And that guy, when he shot that thing off, I was not prepared and it really scared me. So uh, that's my little tidbit on on the environment, I guess, uh, in Morgantown. There are some interesting matchups in this game, I think, that should be kind of fun in terms of one on one. Like Dewan against Kirk Carissa probably would be a fun matchup. Uh, like like I kind of mentioned, I, I feel like battle for West Virginia would probably draw Kevin McCuller as a matchup. Uh, and it is unfortunate because we are robbed of maybe what would have been the most compelling matchup, which would have been Edwards against Hunter Dickinson. Uh, but there's still some other, there, there is still some other, I think, intriguing matchups within the game that could be fun to watch or could be fun to keep an eye on. Uh, but yeah, I really feel like this is a game where if you're Kansas, I don't even think you necessarily have to start fast like you did against Oklahoma State. Just don't start slow, basically. Just don't get down uh, early and let the crowd kind of get revved up. You know, just play your game, handle your business. And uh, this feels like a game where, you know, you're playing against a team that's that hasn't been great defensively. So you you're, you would like to see the, the team passing for Kansas continue to be effective uh, with Hunter Dickinson, getting K.J. Adams going again, who's been quietly really good. Uh, and then I guess with Johnny Furphy, 
see what he does on the road in, again, what I expect to be a better environment than what Oklahoma State had to offer. So, uh, you know, he we mentioned after the Oklahoma game, what can he do on the road against Oklahoma State? Obviously, he performed very, very well. Uh, but this, like I said, I think this environment will be a little bit better. So uh, well, I guess keep an eye on Johnny Furphy as well. And now he plays in this game. But yeah, this this to me, you never want to overlook an opponent, as I kind of said to, at the top of the segment. But I think this is a game where Kansas should be able to keep West Virginia at arm's length as, as long as battle doesn't go off, which you wouldn't expect him to uh, against such a great defender like Kevin McCuller. So as long as you keep him contained, uh, I think you, you feel pretty good about KU's chances uh, in this game against West Virginia. You'll be able to hear that game right here on KLWN tomorrow afternoon at 3 o'clock. We are going to be having coverage of the women's basketball game here with Kansas in the Sunflower Showdown against Kansas State. Tip-off at 1 o'clock. Coverage will begin at 12.45 for the KUK State game here on KLWN. And then the KU men's game tips off at 3. So immediately following coverage of the KU women's game, we'll switch over to coverage of the KU men's game. If you want to hear the uh, pregame coverage of the men's game, Crimson and Blue Show, all that, you can head to our sister station, 105.9 KISS, with coverage starting at 1.30 leading into that game. For here on KLWN, like I said, we'll, we'll get you to the KU-West Virginia game as soon as the KU-K-State women's game ends, which should be hopefully right at 3, getting you to the KU men's game right around tip-off for that. Speaking of the Kansas women, uh, there was some big news earlier in the afternoon affecting that game that they're going to play against Kansas State tomorrow. We'll get to that a little bit coming up next at 4.05. Graham Doran of Graham Doran Racketology is going to join the show. We'll get to some Chiefs bills in the 4 o'clock hour. Got to get to our game picks as well plus uh, our uh, Rock Chuck Pickhawk and KU game picks coming up later on in the show. We'll take a time out. You're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out. And although conference play feels like it's kind of just started for basketball, we're now less than two months away from March Madness at the NCAA tournament. And right now we're joined by Graham Dorn of Graham Dorn Bracketology. You can check out his work on Twitter and also find him at GrahamDornBracketology.wordpress.com. Uh, Graham, first off, let's just start with where, where Kansas is at right now. You have them as the third overall seed in your latest updated bracket. Uh, what do you like about their position? And what do you think they can do to maybe strengthen their position to getting a one seed going forward? Uh, what I like about their position is that they're three and one against quadrant one. A. So we're talking about the very best teams in the country. I think when you have that neutral court win over Tennessee, who I have a two as a two seed. When you have that home win over UConn, who I have as the number one seed, of course, ranked number one in the AP poll right now, and that neutral court win over Kentucky, that's really, really strong. Then you throw in some additional wins like Oklahoma at home, TCU at home. I think the Jayhawks have done a lot to show that they can win basketball games. What I think will really help is an outright Big 12 championship because one of the teams they're competing with right now is Houston. And I think anybody that emerges as the Big 12 champion, as a sole Big 12 champion, will be on that one line. The league is too strong to not have at least one number one seed. The question is, can they get two number one seeds? And if Kansas is tied there with Houston, I think it would help the Jayhawks to do what they did against Oklahoma State. Just start winning by a little bit more, uh, because some of those committee members are going to be swayed by efficiency metrics like Ken Palm. Yeah, I am fascinated by uh, what you were talking about there with Kansas and Houston. Let's say Kansas and Houston maybe split the Big 12 title in the regular season. They both go 13-5, and five, let's say, in conference. 
Do you think that guarantees they would both get a one seed, or how do you think that would play out if they end up sharing? Uh, that would be a close call. And the reason why I don't think it guarantees a one seed is there's just too many contenders out there. I think Purdue is going to get a one seed. Their path is so clear. They already have six wins against quadrant one, 10 wins against quadrants one and two. I think Purdue is going to be a one seed. So with one of those spots taken, it really comes down to a big 12 champion filling one. And then uh, the two final slots, I think, are going to be between North Carolina out of the ACC, UConn out of the Big East, and then maybe throw in Arizona out of the Pac-12 and Tennessee out of the SEC, and then whoever else could emerge as a potential Big 12 contender like Houston or Kansas that they can split the title or maybe even be within one game of the champion, uh, they could potentially get there too. But I think there's just so much competition uh, that they're going to have to be really, really strong in Big 12 play. I don't think 12-6 and six will get it done for a one seed unless you're an outright champion. I do think 13-5 and five would probably be enough to get on that one line, but it would be close. So if it does come down to maybe that discussion between Kansas and Houston and maybe it is a discussion of one seed versus two seed, the fact that they play each other twice in the regular season, how much do you think their head-to-head matchups could matter in determining, okay, maybe Kansas gets to the last one or maybe it's Houston? How much do you think those head-to-head matchups could, could matter in that determination? I think they could matter uh, immensely. If one of those two teams can get a 2-0 sweep against the other team, or potentially even a 2-1 if it comes down to a matchup in the Big 12 tournament, I think that team would likely be seated above the other. Kansas did more out of conference than Houston did, but Houston has been very, very oppressive uh, in their win margins and their dominance against good teams like Texas Tech. So I think with the, the better wins going to Kansas and the more dominant performances going to Houston, it really could just come down to who has a winning record between those two in head-to-head competition. Right now you've got Baylor as a three seed currently. Any chance they could possibly make the jump maybe if they get some wins, if they maybe knock out Kansas or Baylor or, anything, or, or Kansas or Houston, any chance they could maybe jump up to that one line? Oh, I think Baylor could definitely be a one seed. They just need to win that Big 12 championship. Unfortunately for them, they took a close loss at Kansas State, so it's not looking great for Baylor to win the Big 12 title. Yeah, when you look at Kansas, does that UCF loss on the road maybe look a better, look a little bit better now for you since, you since UCF went and beat Texas on the road also? Yeah, I think it does look better, but there's also a, a, a flip side to that. Now Kansas, if UCF is a top 75 team in the net, Kansas's quadrant one record isn't actually quite so nice. So it's, it's not so bad to have a quadrant two loss. But if you have a really, really strong record against quadrant one, that's always going to impress the tournament committee. So I think it helps slightly, but maybe not as much as you'd think just because it impacts that quadrant one record. Yeah, it's kind of funny how that works where you're right to your point. Maybe it's better if you have it as a quadrant two loss than a quad one, right? Yeah, I think if you have a better win percentage against Quadrant 1, those are the sorts of teams that are going to be playing in the NCAA tournament anyways. So the tournament committee will want to see that you're successful against the very best. In your latest bracket, you had, uh, I believe if I counted right, 10 Big 12 teams in the tournament. Do you think it's realistic that that many Big 12 teams can make it in, or do you think we'll start to see some teams maybe fall out as the Big 12 plays more against itself and maybe some of these teams take more losses? If I had a guess, I think the Big 12 is going to get nine teams. I think we're going to see plus or minus one of nine. 
Uh, but I think nine is probably the safest margin. Like you said, some teams may end up playing themselves out just taking too many losses in conference play. But one thing that may have helped the Big 12 a little bit this year is some of the teams that are going to be on the bubble played weaker non-conference schedules. And usually that doesn't help you. That hurts you with the tournament committee, except what the Big 12 has been seeing recently with teams like Oklahoma State last year and Texas and Oklahoma in previous years is you don't want a record, an overall record, close to 500. And a lot of those Big 12 teams have been putting together, you know, 17 and 16 records or 18 and 15 records. And the tournament committee is very hesitant to put teams that are that close to 500 in the bracket. This year, you're going to see teams with very good overall records, and they're still going to have some very good wins from Big 12 play. So I think that could actually help the Big 12 this year by having less teams that are close to 500 overall. Yeah, to that point, uh, do you think the the sort of, I guess, reputation of the Big 12 as being the toughest league in the country maybe does help some of those teams, right? Like maybe like a, an Iowa State or a Kansas State or a TCU where, to your point, maybe they end up losing nine or ten games in conference, but the fact that maybe they have a little bit more wins because of their non-conference schedules and maybe because of the reputation of the Big 12, does that, I mean, does that matter at all, do you think? Do you think the committee is sitting there saying, well, you know, the Big 12 is the toughest league, so we got to put these teams in? I don't think they're going to look at it quite like that, but I would think they will say if they get to 500 in Big 12 play, you cannot get there without having quality wins under your belt. To even get within 500, maybe even within a game of 500, that means you beat good teams along the way. Like you saw, UCF already has a home win over Kansas. Iowa State already has a home win over Houston. Lots of teams are picking up big wins already in Big 12 play, even if they're unexpected. When you look at the Big 12, is there a team right now that maybe is lower-seeded that you think has the potential to possibly jump up if they can pick up some big wins here coming up in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, I actually have TCU as an 8 seed right now, and they would be the team that's most on my radar for a big jump up the bracket. Uh, and that's just coming to me from the eye test. Uh, it's not necessarily that they have awesome efficiency metrics. I just think watching this team – they're really good, and they are very close to having an excellent Big 12 record. It's still okay, um, but they could have very easily beaten Cincinnati on the road. They very could have e- very easily could have beaten Kansas on the road. I think TCU is very close to being a Big 12 championship contender. Uh, just a few breaks have not gone their way. What about a team in the Big 12 that you think might be seated too high right now that you think could fade with a couple losses? I would look at Oklahoma. I have them on the five line right now. And when we talk about teams being on a certain seed line, they're not all created equal. I have Oklahoma 20th overall, so they're my last number five seed. And frankly, I don't think they look like a number five seed. They look to me like they should be a six seed, but they have to have four teams in every seed line, and Oklahoma just happens to be slightly better than the other six seeds. So I think Oklahoma could very easily go from a five seed maybe down to a seven or an eight by the time tournament selection committee meets in March. Yeah, I think we touched on this a little bit last week, but when you look at at Kansas, for instance, uh, especially with some of the metrics like Ken Palm had them, I think, close to the low teens, 20s, and then they blow out Oklahoma State and it jumped them up into they're now 13 right now. I guess when you look at that, when you see how maybe some of these metrics – sometimes maybe over give too much to teams that blow out bad teams versus me beating good teams by not as much. Well, what's kind of your view on that? And how do you think the committee try to sort through that where maybe like a Kansas, for instance, has some really quality wins, but hadn't really blown anybody out. And then they blew, they do blow somebody out and they jump way up in the metrics. Well, I think it could really help Kansas that the big 12 has a lot of teams 
that kind of game the system by beating up on bad teams. BYU did it out of conference. Iowa State did it out of conference. Throw in TCU, Texas Tech. Lots of teams in the Big 12 ended up getting good net ratings, not because of their quality wins out of conference, but because they beat up on very bad competition. And the sort of teams that end up reaping the benefit aren't necessarily those teams as much as it is the teams they play. So now Kansas, uh, playing a team like Iowa State, the net looks at that as beating one of the very best teams in the country if they can go to Ames and pick up a victory. I don't see it that way. I don't think most people would see Iowa State as one of the best teams in the country, but the net does. So I think the Big 12 uh, will benefit overall by just getting more quality wins, according to the net, by taking advantage of those efficiency metrics. Is that a flaw at all? Do you think, like, do you view that as maybe a flaw in the system a little bit, or is that why maybe the committee does have take that into account plus other factors? They do take that into account and other factors, but I absolutely think it's a flaw because everything the tournament selection committee looks at starts with the net and the quadrant system. They're not looking at the quadrant system for, you know, strength of record or Ken Palm or anything like that. They're looking at it for net specifically. Uh, so I do think it is a bit of a flaw, but the tournament selection committee will put more weight on KPI and strength of record than any other metrics, and that includes net. The one flaw in this whole system with efficiency is that when they start looking at the quadrant system, it's all going to be net organized, uh, not organized based on how teams rank in the strength of record. But I think, you know, the prior system of the RPI had its flaws as well. If you just played a very strong uh, overall schedule, you didn't necessarily have to beat a lot of great teams. You just had to avoid beating a bunch of very bad teams and your RPI could get inflated and entire leagues took advantage of that too. I think we're seeing a very similar situation, uh, except in this case, the big 12 is taking advantage of beating up on weaker teams to maybe look a little bit better to the net than they really are. When you look around sort of beyond the big 12, who are some other teams maybe around the country that you are keeping your eye on as, uh, as we get closer and closer to March? Well, one of the teams I've been watching uh, is just Creighton, because I'm very interested to see uh, they cannot play in Omaha. I'm very interested to see if they start losing some more games and get down into that seven or eight range, uh, because if they do, they're not going to be playing the Jayhawks, because Kansas is very, very likely headed to Omaha. So they could be an absolute nightmare matchup for a team like Purdue or Tennessee. Um, in the second round. So they're one of the teams I'm looking at. Another team that I'm paying pretty close attention to is Grand Canyon out of the whack uh, because they only have one loss on the season. They have a good win over San Diego State, a road win over Liberty, very good metrics overall. I think Grand Canyon is probably headed to the tournament regardless of whether they win the WAC tournament or not. But let, let's assume Kansas does end up being in the South region, which I, that's that would be Omaha, uh, if I'm not mistaken. If that does happen, what to you would be the best, maybe best case scenario for Kansas in terms of maybe who they could face as a two or three or four seed out of that region? Uh, I think if Kansas uh, heads to the South region, well, the South is actually in Dallas this year. Um, Omaha would be the first and the second round sites. But I think if Kansas can uh, head to the South, I would hope to play Wisconsin as a two seed. Uh, they can't be with Purdue, so we know they've got to be in a different region there. Um, and I think you could maybe look at a three seed that might be a little, little bit vulnerable uh, would be somebody that maybe creeps up from that four line. Like if Dayton keeps winning out of the Atlantic 10, I think they would be a dream three seed scenario. And Dayton has the resume metrics to back up being there. Uh, as far as a four or a five seed, 
uh, I would just be trying to avoid one of the top efficiency teams at that point. And Kansas is lucky. They're not going to be facing one of the teams like Iowa State or BYU that have really great efficiency because uh, those are Big 12 teams. I mean, it's possible, but it's unlikely. Uh, but I would say uh, if you could maybe get a team from maybe the Big Ten that creeps up there, like in Illinois, if uh, their efficiency lags a little bit. Uh, they got a good win last night to move up to the four line, uh, but it's still to be seen how Illinois is going to finish the year, so maybe they might be an ideal candidate. But uh, really, I think what Kansas is really going to want to look for is the same thing that happened in 2022. You get a week or two seed, like Auburn as opposed to Kentucky. We know Kentucky lost to St. Peter's, but it didn't look that way on Selection Sunday. Wisconsin overperformed, Providence overperformed, and even eight and nine, San Diego State and Creighton overperformed. That's what you want. You do not want to have what Kansas saw last year, which is a underperforming Arkansas team ending up uh, in their eight nine game. Really, efficiency can be gamed, but it's a pretty good uh, look. So if you want to look at my bracket, Take a look at some of those teams that uh, are on the 8-9 line, the 2-3-4 line, and just go check out Ken Palm. See where they rank there. You want to see a team that's just a little bit worse than Ken Palm. A team that Kansas saw earlier this season, uh, I know you talked about how in conference there's ways to kind of divvy it up to where you don't have two conference teams where they could play each other. But what about a team like Kentucky that Kansas saw earlier in the season? Even though they're not in the same conference, the fact that they – they they already matched up. If Kentucky ends up being in that two three four discussion, would that matter at all for them getting placed possibly in the same region as Kansas, or does that kind of not matter even though they played early in the season? Uh, it's irrelevant when you're talking about matchups that could happen at the Sweet Sixteen or later, um, already having occurred. The only caveat to that is in conference. So, for example, if uh, Kansas had played Iowa State twice this year, so maybe once in Ames and then once in the Big 12 tournament, um, Kansas could not play them uh, before uh, getting to the Sweet 16. If they had played three times, for example, uh, let's say Kansas plays Oklahoma in Norman, the game that they've already had in Lawrence, and then in the Big 12 championship, they cannot actually play until the Elite Eight at that point. So you're really looking at it if you've played once, you can play in the second round. If you've played twice, you can play in the Sweet 16. If you've played three times, you can play in the Elite Eight. Uh, but for those conference matchups, they realize how big some of these conferences are getting. So uh, you can play in the second round if you've only met once, but they do try to avoid that if at all possible. You mentioned at the top here about UConn being number one right now in the AP. You've got them as your number four, number one seed right now in your bracket. I mean, you, you talked about Purdue a little bit, but is, is Purdue basically, do you think, kind of have the inline track to getting that number one overall seed right now kind of based on their record going or based on their schedule going forward? Yeah, I think Purdue's got a relatively easy schedule going forward, and they already did great work to get to this point. As I mentioned, six and two against Quadrant One, and not just six and two against Quadrant One, some really, really good wins uh, within Quadrant One against some of the top teams in the bracket. So I think Purdue is very likely headed to that overall number one seed just because they have a clear path and they've already done so much. He is Graham Dorn of Graham Dorn Bracketology. You can check out his work on social media, on Twitter, Graham Dorn Bracketology, and also GrahamDornBracketology.wordpress.com. Graham, appreciate your insight. As always, thanks so much, and uh, enjoy your weekend. Thanks, Nick. Uh, that was Graham Dorn of Graham Dorn Bracketology once again joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Be sure to check out all his great work. As Again, 
it, it you know we're only five games into conference play, but listen, we've got uh, we've got less than two months up until the uh, NCAA tournament, so never too early to start busting out those brackets and uh, thinking about what the matchups could be in March. And certainly for Kansas, there could be some intriguing matchups with a lot of uh, really good teams out there, some of which Kansas has already played, but we'll see how things shake out uh, going forward. All right, we're going to take a time out here on Rock Talk Sports Talk. When we come back, we'll get into a little bit of Chiefs-Bills talk as Kansas City heads to Buffalo for the division round of the NFC out of the NFL playoffs in what is most definitely the highly, most highly anticipated matchup of the weekend in the NFL. Let's dive a little bit more into that. On the other side, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. Half past four here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson out. Should be back on Monday, though. Although, maybe I might not let him on the show. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Nick Chalk Sports Talk here today on RCST. I just have finished up a great conversation with bracketologist Graham Doran. Check out his work at uh, Graham Doran Bracketology. Uh, dot wordpress.com or you can find them on social media as well uh, Graham Doran so and if you missed that conversation check it out on our best of RCST podcast anywhere you get your podcasts okay so some more news came today from the matchup between the Chiefs and the Bills and uh, the Bills are banged up coming into this game especially on defense they're going to be without a couple of key players uh, in their uh, at their linebacker position and also in their secondary as well and for the Chiefs coming into this matchup against Buffalo they're without a few players as well. Wanya Morris, most notably, uh, has been ruled out with that concussion. The Chiefs, they they reactivated Sky Moore, but he's not going to be uh, in the game for the Chiefs. So he's inactive or out for uh, Kansas City coming up in this game against Buffalo. I don't know how many Chiefs fans are too upset about that one, but Kansas City comes into this game as underdogs. And Patrick Mahomes, he has been an underdog 10 times in his career. He is 7-3 and three in those 10 games. So... Uh, that's straight up, straight up seven and three in those games. So pretty incredible stuff. But uh, the Chiefs underdogs coming into this game against Buffalo, and I started thinking about this last night, though. Uh, in terms of this question, which team has more pressure on them coming into this game? And I think the immediate reaction would be the Buffalo Bills. They are at home. Uh, you know, if they're never going to be, if they're not going to be the Chiefs this year, are they ever going to be the Chiefs? Josh Allen needs to get over the hump. You know, they're, they're a franchise that, of course, has suffered so much in the playoffs and getting the Super Bowl and never winning and, think, and yada, yada, yada. So you would think the pressure would be more on the, on the Bills, but I do think there is quite a bit of pressure also on the Chiefs in this game. The biggest reason for that is because when you think about what the Chiefs are, all season long, they've screwed around, they've kind of messed around, and they've, it, it, they, there's been this aura around them of, we are a January team. We are just simply waiting until the playoffs, and then we're going to turn it on. And you know, we the season starts for us in January. And because they kind of didn't have the smoothest regular season, I wonder if that puts a little more pressure on them to perform now in the playoffs because of the fact that you know, hey, you've kind of talked about how all the season, you know, maybe not, maybe not directly, but maybe through you know, just reading between the lines of 
hey, you know, we're just basically, you know, we're waiting until we get to January because we know that that's when we're going to play our best football. Well, now here you are. Here you are, and it's time to perform, right? You know, they, they performed against the Dolphins. Uh, I think the weather certainly had an impact in that game against the Dolphins. I mean, they I don't know that they really ever had a chance from the get-go with how cold it was, and, and Kansas City was able to, to take advantage of it. But, you know, from the, from the Chiefs' perspective, I think you can definitely make the argument, hey, the season starts with this game, right? And if you view it from that lens, I think that does add to the pressure that the Chiefs are facing in this game. I understand that the underdogs and and I and I and I know for a fact that in that locker room they are viewing it the complete opposite. They're saying, "Hey, people are doubting us. People are saying we can't do it." You know, and they're going to use that to put build a chip on their shoulders. But I do think there is some pressure on the Chiefs from the standpoint of, listen, you guys have kind of waited around all season for this, and now here we are, time to play, right? But the pressure I think also is certainly on the Bills, like I said, because Josh Allen gets the, gets the best of the Chiefs in the regular season, can't beat him in the playoffs. But now you're at home, right? So the the excuse of, well, we had to go to Arrowhead, you can't use that anymore. You're at home. You're at home. Josh Allen is playing maybe his best football right now. Uh, what, what, what would the excuses be if you can't beat the Chiefs at home right in this matchup, right? Uh, so, But I think it does kind of go both ways. I think it does kind of go both ways. I think there definitely is a little bit on the Chiefs as well coming into this game uh, because, again, you know, this is kind of what they've waited around for all season. And, and on top of that, I know Travis Kelsey says he's gonna, he's not planning on retiring and all that, but I think you still have to wonder about that a little bit, right? And especially with how emotional Jason Kelsey was after the Eagles game and how it sounds like he's going to maybe be uh, retiring potentially, uh, which, which, by the way, kind of sucks that, you know, with this, with so many insiders, right, and, and trying to be the first to break a story, sometimes maybe it's better to just wait and, and let the guy you know, let the guy make that decision or let, let the guy make that announcement himself. Uh, so I, I don't know. We'll see. I'm not predicting that this would be the last game we see Travis Kelsey in a Chiefs uniform, but uh, I, we'll, we'll see, man. We'll see. Uh, and I kind of talked about this yesterday on the show. I do think as much focus is going to be put on the quarterbacks in this matchup, Mahomes and Allen, I think it's going to – the difference in the game might end up being the, the ground game for these two teams. Kansas City with Isaiah Pacheco – Buffalo with James Cook, who's been really good. James Cook also did really well against the Chiefs as a as a receiver in their first matchup in, uh, in it, at Arrowhead. But as I said, the Bills, their defense is really really banged up. Uh, they're they're going to be without Taylor Rapp, their safety. Also going to miss be missing Balen Specter, who I think was their third string linebacker who got hurt in the Steelers game. I'm pretty sure. Uh, also without Gabe Davis, which is a guy that has been good against the Chiefs. So they've got their own issues, right? And the Dolphins were in the same boat when they came to play Kansas City and the Chiefs were able to take advantage. And and this is a Bills defense that that's pretty banged up. Uh we'll see how much that factors into the game, but yeah, man, I think with Pacheco, you got to let him kind of carry the game a little bit if you're the Chiefs. I understand you have Mahomes, but but you want to get him involved early and often, I think, and and hope and hope that that can kind of free up opportunities for Travis Kelsey, for Rashi Rice, right? And Kind of an interesting thing about the receiver room overall. When you look back at the Chiefs Super Bowl run from last season, besides the MVS game in the AFC Championship, it wasn't like the Chiefs were getting a ton of production from their receiver room during that playoff run either to the Super Bowl. So I, I don't know. I don't want to say that the Chief, that maybe the the discussion on the Chiefs wide receiver room being bad and all that is like overblown because objectively the Chiefs wide receiver room has been bad and struggled in a lot of areas, but. For the playoffs, 
I don't necessarily think it's a situation where that could be a significant, significant detriment, especially when you have Rashi Rice playing at the level that he's playing and the Chiefs have clearly figured out how to get him the ball and how to get him at his best. Uh, and then the other thing with the Bills, with Josh Allen, the fact that he played and didn't turn the ball over against the Steelers and played well, that makes me think that he is going to be due to do some dumb stuff in this game against the Chiefs. That's just my that's just my gut feeling. I think he's going to be doing some dumb stuff. I think he's going to be dialing up some dumb stuff, and that could benefit the Chiefs depending on when it happens in the game. So uh, I think the biggest edge for the Chiefs is probably with their defense, right? It's got to be with their defense. The fact that Buffalo is banged up on their defensive side, when you look at the Chiefs and the way their defense is playing, you have Drew Tranquil, you have Nick Bolton, you have Chris Jones, you have George Karloftis, you have Trent McDuffie, you have Legarius Sneed. I mean, really, really talented defensive players for the Chiefs. And I would almost be willing to make the argument that the Chiefs have the best defense remaining in the playoffs. I understand the Niners have a good defense. Baltimore's defense has been pretty good. I think the Chiefs' defense is right there, if not better. They might have the best defense remaining in the playoffs, truly. And that travels. Even if you're not playing at Arrowhead, that travels. So that's definitely got to be the biggest edge for Kansas City because Josh Allen's playing at a high level. Mahomes, I think Mahomes and Josh Allen are probably going to end up, it'll just come down to the the turnovers, right? If one of them may, turns it over more than the other. I think in terms of making plays in the game, they're probably going to end up kind of neutralizing each other in the sense of you're going to see Mahomes make some crazy plays. You're going to see probably Josh Allen make some crazy plays. It just if, if, if one of them happens to turn it over more than the other, that would be where you get the edge from the quarterback position. I like Pacheco more than James Cook, but I think Buffalo... With their ground game, their ground game is pretty strong, so I do want to respect that. And then when you look at the the, the weapons for the Chiefs, you have Kelsey and, and Rashi Rice. For the Bills, you have Stephon Diggs, but he's going to be going up against Legarius Sneed, and that should be a very exciting matchup because Sneed obviously has been so good at uh, absolutely dominating number one wide receivers for the opposing team. Uh, I think my biggest worry for the Chiefs is that they they. I don't know. I think my biggest worry for the Chiefs is that it might be a situation where they just miss on their big opportunity. And what I mean by that is going back to the regular season, the Eagles game, MVS, the Bills game, the offsides with Kadarius Tony. And I understand that 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 you know those are other situations, but that would be my biggest concern is that something happens to the Chiefs in a big moment that kind of sets them back, uh, and it could be a whole host of different things, right? I, I think you know when you look at these two teams, and if you go into the game and say. The Chiefs and the Bills are both going to play A games. They're both going to play at a high level. It's going to be a high-level game. If both teams are playing at that level, who wins? I think you have to lean towards the Chiefs, right? I know they're on the road, but I think you have to lean towards them. You would take Mahomes, I think, over Josh Allen based off what he's done. You're certainly taking the Chiefs' defense. And I just, I don't know, I just just think if both teams play at that level, I think the Chiefs would win that game. So – if that's the case, then at that point, if you're the Chiefs, you just kind of have to match the level that the Bills play at and limit your takeaways. And the big growth from the Chiefs that we've seen really since the Raiders game, the Chiefs have kind of rediscovered their identity. And their identity is not to go out and score a lot of points. Their identity is to go out and play defense and rely on that to be kind of the driving force of their team. People will look at the uh, at the red zone for the Chiefs and say, oh, the Chiefs can't score in the red zone. They get stopped in the red zone, blah, blah, blah. Listen, if you have a great defense, kicking field goals is not always a bad thing, okay? For the and and I know that Chiefs fans and and people on the outside have been wired to think that if the Chiefs aren't scoring a touchdown on offense, it is a bad result. And I get it. 
because that's been the case for the last five plus years with Mahomes. But this season, it's a little different. You can lean on your defense. You can rely on your defense. Three points is not bad with this Chiefs with this Chiefs teams right now. And so a lot of people will point to the Dolphins game with oh they struggle in the red zone. Even going back to the to the Bengals game at, at the end of uh, you know before the uh, end of the regular season before they played the Chargers and say well the Chiefs red zone is terrible. Uh, I I just I don't know that that's necessarily entirely the case because this is a team with a different identity than previous iterations of the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, and that that's okay. That's okay. That's not a bad thing. It's just different, and it's and I think it's kind of taken the Chiefs basically the whole season really to to understand that to realize hey the offense you don't have to go out and try to put up a billion points you can play your game you can take the ball down the field you don't have to worry about scoring a touchdown every single every single drive field goals are not a bad thing because you have this great defense you can lean on so I, I, I don't know I, I that's that's kind of my thought is that maybe the Chiefs have realized that a little bit that they can play to their strengths right I mean listen in the NFL, or in any sport for that matter, you want to play to your strengths. What has the strength been for the Chiefs this season? It's been the defense. It's objectively been the defense for a majority of the season. That's been their strength. So why would they not play to that strength? Why would they, why would they not play to that strength of you know possessing the ball, of taking points when you can get them, even if it's not a touchdown, and things like that, and playing to your strength, which is your defense? Uh, so we'll, I, we'll see how that plays out against the Bills. Against the Bills, they may have to score a little more because of the, of the Bills' offense, and we'll see how the Bills' offense does against the Chiefs. But I don't know, man. It feels to me as though the Chiefs have maybe figured something out a little bit and realized with Mahomes, you know, I mean, again, you go back to the Raiders game. To me, that's, that game is kind of the game where I think it, it, the Chiefs figured it out after that and said, Mahomes, you don't have to go play hero ball, man. You don't have to go out and try to do it all yourself. You have this great defense that you can lean on. Just don't make mistakes and move the ball and possess the ball and and take your points where you can get them, even if it's field goals, that's okay, and you're going to be able to win some games. And that's what's happened since that Raiders game when you look at the Chiefs and Bengals and then in the Chiefs and the playoffs against the, against the Dolphins. So, all right, we'll take a time out here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. When we come back, we'll get to our game picks for the NFL Divisional Weekend coming up, including, of course, Kansas City and Buffalo. I'll give you one guess what I'm picking in the Chiefs-Bills game. That's coming up. On the other side, we'll get to our game picks. And in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll get to Rock Chalk Pickahawk and our KU game picks as Kansas takes on West Virginia. Also, we'll hear from Nick Timberlake as he spoke with the media yesterday before the Jayhawks left from, from Morgantown. We'll hear from him as well later on in the 5 o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. It's that time of the week on Rock Chalk Sports Talk for game picks of the biggest games Ahead from this weekend. Boy, that sounds great. And you know what? It'll be nice having a little extra cash to bet on college football. Right here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Yeah, I'd like to bet 100 bucks. You want to pick a team? No, just take it. All right, welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. And yes, it is time to get into our game picks for the weekend. No college football, but we're still going to be picking for the NFL so I finished the year just under 500 on college football. I was 42 and 43 and two in college football. Derek was 39 and 46 and two on college football. So I was a little bit better than him on on college football. On NFL, I would I had been red hot, but Derek has actually caught up to me. I'm 52 and 36 and three in NFL. Derek is now 51 and 38 and and two uh, in uh, NFL. So he's kind of caught up to me on the NFL. So I'm trying to stay ahead of him here for our game picks for this weekend uh, here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. 
Let's get right into it. Starting with Houston, the Texans. They are at Baltimore. Baltimore is nine and a half point favorites over the Texans. So clearly, oddsmakers books, they are not buying Houston as a legitimate threat after they smoked Cleveland uh, last weekend in the wild card round as they are big underdogs in this game against Baltimore. And yeah, for Baltimore, this is a this is an interesting game because I think the public is largely leaning Houston here with this line because riding off the kind of watching Houston have so much success against the Browns. And I think the Ravens, obviously, only the one playoff went under Lamar. Can they get over the hump with Lamar? I'm going to pick Baltimore in this game, actually. I'm going to pick Baltimore. I think if the Ravens are going to fall flat, it's not going to happen in this game. It's going to happen next week when they play either the either the Chiefs or the Bills in the uh, AFC title game. I think Baltimore is going to come out in this game and, and probably dominate, to be honest. I'll pick Baltimore. Derek is leaning with the public. He's taking Houston in this game. I mean, I mean, listen, I, it, it could be that it could be the case, right? I mean, with Houston, they are explosive on offense, but so is Baltimore, right? Baltimore has been just as explosive on offense, and the weather I think could be a factor in this game as well. With Houston going up to Baltimore, and I just get the sense that Baltimore, if they are going to fall flat, I don't think it's going to happen here. I think it would happen in their next game against either the Bills or the Chiefs when the pressure is, is even higher. I think Baltimore comes to this game loose and rested, and I think they take care of business against Houston. I'll, I'll take them big over the Texans. Green Bay in the other uh, one matchup uh, is against San Francisco. And there's the seventh seed for Green Bay against San Francisco in San Francisco, and the Niners also getting 9.5 points or favored by 9.5 points over Green Bay in this game. I feel differently about this game than I do the Baltimore-Houston game. I think this could actually be uh, a legitimate game with with Green Bay and the way that they played against Dallas. And again, I touched on this earlier in the week, but the overarching reaction from the Dallas game, from the Green Bay-Dallas game last weekend, it was not, oh, wow, Green Bay looks really good. Like, Green Bay could be legitimate. All of the reaction to the game was... Dallas is terrible. Dallas choked. Dallas sucks. Everybody focused on Dallas. And I think that was a bit of a mistake. I think Green Bay literally actually legitimately should be getting a little bit more praise for their for their play with Aaron Jones and kind of the game script that they put together and obviously Jordan Love uh, with the way he played as well. So I'm buying Green Bay a little more uh, in this situation than I am Houston against Baltimore. I don't know if the Green Bay is going to win this game against San Francisco. San Francisco's run game has been dominant, obviously, with, with McCaffrey. And I think with San Francisco, it just comes down to does Brock Purdy screw things up or does he manage the game well, i.e. running HB die with Christian McCaffrey and not throwing interceptions when trying to get it to the, the skill position players they have on the outside. And I like the Niners defense too, obviously, to, to possibly do more. But I think Green Bay will cover though. So I'm going to take Green Bay uh, in this game. Derek agrees. He has also gone with the Packers in this one, so we're both on the same page there. Green Bay plus 9.5 against San Francisco. Then you move to the Sunday games. Tampa Bay is at Detroit. That line, 6.5, 7, it's 6.5 right now. This is an interesting one for sure. At 6.5, you're tempted to take Detroit. I think I will take Detroit, actually, over Tampa Bay. I've kind of I kind of mentioned this earlier in the week, though. Tampa Bay should not be a team that you write off. Baker Mayfield is playing pretty well. They also can be explosive on offense with some of the receivers that they have. Detroit's secondary has not been that great over the course of the season. The difference in this game will be, 
can Tampa Bay stop Detroit's run game? Tampa Bay's been a good run defense throughout the season. Can they stop Detroit if if the Lions just want to run? If, if the Lions just want to line up and run HB dive, and if they can, does the pressure then shift on to Goff to, uh, to to do something in this game? And that's where I get a little bit nervous because the Bucks, the Bucks are literally playing with house money. They have absolutely nothing to lose. If the Bucks lose, who cares? Nobody. They have a chance to to go to the NFC title game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers out of the NFC South, out of the division that I have been ragging on all season long. I even advocated for the NFC South getting no teams in the playoffs. They're terrible. The Falcons suck. The Saints suck. The Panthers are literally the worst team in recent history that I could think of in the NFL uh, with the, the dysfunction that they have in their organization. And yet here come the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They win the division. Baker Mayfield suddenly playing at a, at a much higher level. They've they've got some interesting skill players. Their defense stepped up in a big way against the against the Eagles. I don't know. I would maybe have to get my words on that if Tampa Bay makes the NFC title game because I I would have I would have advocated for them not even making the playoffs. Just just put in I don't know somebody else. Put in I, I almost said Minnesota, but I don't want to see Minnesota in the playoffs either. But somebody else, uh, somebody else, right? Uh, so I'm going to go with Detroit here. I'll take the Lions. I think they will be able to have enough success on the ground that they can still get this win and cover the six and a half. Derek has decided to go with Tampa Bay. And I don't – this is a game – this is probably the game that I feel the least confident in is this Detroit-Tampa Bay game. I think Tampa Bay could, could cover or even win outright potentially. I mean, would it not be all-time Detroit to finally have this great weight lifted off your chest – Win your first playoff game in 31 years in my lifetime. I mean, I you know, in my lifetime since 1991, and then you get to play Tampa Bay at home to go to the NFC title game, and you totally fall flat, and Tampa Bay wins. Wouldn't that be just all time Detroit? So I can see it happen. I'm gonna pick the Lions though, and then of course uh, I think the the biggest game of the weekend, the game everyone's most excited about for this weekend, Kansas City at Buffalo in Orchard Park. As last I saw, I think it might still be snowing in Orchard Park. I don't believe it's supposed to be snowing during the game, though, on Sunday. I think the, it's supposed to clear up. I mean, it's going to be cold. Uh, but no snow, I don't think, during the game. Uh, but it has been snowing a lot, obviously, in Buffalo. I think they got another, like, foot or two of snow uh, earlier in the week after they had gotten however much they got previously that, that delayed the game against the Steelers. Uh, yeah, I'll give you one guess who I'm going with here. Kansas City at Buffalo. Buffalo minus three. Chiefs, give me Kansas City here. Kansas City all the way. Uh, I think uh, the Chiefs are going to win. I don't know. That's just my thought. Derek being Derek has gone with Buffalo. So boo, boo, Derek, boo. Derek's gone with Buffalo, uh, minus three in this one. Uh, I, I mean, I hope the Chiefs win, obviously. I want, to, I want the Chiefs to win. I'll be very sad if they don't win. I think they could lose, obviously, but... I'm sticking to my guns. I'm sticking with Kansas City here. All right, on to our locks of the week in the NFL. I'm 10-8 and eight in the NFL, Derek 9-9. Nine and nine. By the way, uh, for our locks of the week in college football uh, that we finished the season with, I finished the season 8-9-1 and one in my locks of the week with college football, and Derek finished 11-6-1. and, six and one. So he was a little bit better on his locks of the week in, uh, in college football. But I've been better in the NFL just by one pick. I like the Bucks lions over 49. They're playing indoors. Baker's playing at a high level. I think that game is going to involve some points. Over 49 
for uh, Bucks Lions. Derek has also gone with an over bet. He's going to San Francisco and Green Bay over 50 and a half in that game. And again, I think if you trust the Packers offense to continue to kind of stay hot after the game against the Cowboys, I think you could expect that number to possibly go over. So that's Derek's pick. My pick is Bucks Lions over 49. Don't forget, you can hear select coverage of Westwood One's broadcast radio coverage of the NFL playoffs right here on KLWN. Probably won't be hearing too much of it on Saturday with the KU men's and women's basketball games. But on Sunday afternoon, you'll hear the Tampa Bay-Detroit game in Kansas City and Buffalo. And that Kansas City-Buffalo game, by the way, Kevin Harlan is going to be on the call for that one. Uh, great Jayhawk alum and also former voice of the Chiefs. He'll be on Westwood One's broadcast coverage, which you can hear right here on KLWN on Sunday afternoon for the Chiefs and the Bills. All right, that's our KU game picks for this weekend's NFL Divisional Round games. And two hours down here on the show, one to go. We're going to get to our KU game picks for the Kansas-West Virginia game coming up, as well as Rock Chalk Pickahawk uh, to start the 5 o'clock hour. Also going to hear from Nick Timberlake, as he had a chance to sit down with the media yesterday before Kansas left for Morgantown. We'll hear from Nick Timberlake as well, coming up later on in the 5 o'clock hour as well. Two hours down, one to go here on this Friday on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, Derek Johnson out. And I have received word that he may be returning on Monday. So we'll see. Stay tuned for that on Monday, Derek Potentially the return. We'll see. So Kansas takes on West Virginia tomorrow afternoon at 3 o'clock. And you'll be able to hear that game right here on KLWN. Just as a reminder, on KLWN, we'll have coverage of the KU women's game before the men's game. Tip-off at 1 o'clock. Pre-game coverage 1245 for the KU women taking on Kansas State. And uh, Kansas State, their star center, Yoka Lee, out with an ankle injury. So that could help Kansas in that game. And then uh, immediately following the conclusion of that game at around 3 o'clock, we'll immediately switch you over to coverage of the KU men's game. If you do want to hear all the pregame broadcast coverage for the KU men's game, you can hear that on our sister station at 105.9 KISS. And this West Virginia team that Kansas is going to play, this is not your mom's West Virginia team. This is not a team that's going to press, press Virginia, no Bob Huggins. They've been through a lot of turmoil. They've started 11 different players over the course of this season. So they've had a lot of issues with eligibility, with guys getting hurt. Jesse Edwards, it sounds like, more than likely is not going to play. Their center from transfer from uh, Syracuse. So that should help with Hunter Dickinson a lot. Uh, West Virginia has been out-rebounded badly when uh, Jesse Edwards has not played. And they've also really struggled uh, contesting shots at the rim. Kansas, of course, has been very effective in that area. So with no Jesse Edwards, you expect the Jayhawks to have a chance to do well again on uh, rebounding and uh, getting shots at the rim as well. This is not a West Virginia team that forces a lot of turnovers either. So, again, not not uh, not the old West Virginia teams that you would expect to see with Bob Huggins. But still, you're going to Morgantown, a place where Bill Self has uh, not always had great success. It should be a pretty good, strong crowd. Uh, West Virginia 6-11 on the year, 1-3 in the conference. But, obviously, anytime Kansas comes to town, you'll get up for it, right? So, Raekwon Battle, probably the player to watch for West Virginia. He is a transfer from Montana State who uh, was ruled eligible 
recently. Has played seven games now for West Virginia, averaging 19 points per game. He is not a three-point shooter, though, just 25% on the season. They've also got Kirk Carissa transferred from Arizona at their point guard position. Quinn Slazinski is kind of their, their three-point shooter, I guess, or he's the guy that's taken the most three so far this season, but he's not a great three-point shooter, uh, so keep an eye on that. West Virginia as a team, not a good three-point shooting team at all, so we'll see how that uh, unfolds against Kansas in this game. For, for Kansas, I think it's more of the same, right? More of continue to get a strong start on the road, not let the crowd really build into the game, and uh, then just play your game. Handle business and Kansas, I think, definitely the better team here with uh, West Virginia dealing with injuries, dealing with some disarray. Josh Hylett's still trying to kind of figure things out, uh, their head coach for West Virginia. So a lot to like about Kansas, I think, uh, in this game on the road, in their second straight road game of the week. But it's a quick turnaround for them, though. They come back home to take on Cincinnati on Monday. All right, let's get into our Rock Chalk Pick-A-Hawk here. Reminder of the rules for Rock Chalk Pick-A-Hawk. You get one point for every point a player scores. Two points for every rebound and assist a player has, and three points for every block and steal a player has, and you lose one point for every minute that player plays. So, for example, if Hunter Dickinson has 20 points and 10 rebounds, that would be 30 pick a points, or I guess that'd be 40 pick a points, actually. 40 pick a points. Uh, but if he plays 30 minutes, you would only get 10 points out of that for Hunter Dickinson. So, uh, so far the season in Rock Chalk Pickahawk, I am seven and thirteen. Derek is thirteen and seven. And uh, Derek had the first pick this week. We did our t- our picks via text for to maintain integrity of Pickahawk. Derek had the first pick, and he did in fact pick Hunter Dickinson, who has without a doubt been the most reliable uh, Pickahawk guy because he just fills the box score. He gets a lot of rebounds, scores a lot of points, and uh, he might even have the occasional game like Oklahoma where he gets a lot of blocks and scores even more in Pickahawk. So. Derek with Hunter Dickinson in our snake style draft. I took Kevin McCuller and KJ Adams with my uh, two picks. Uh, I like Kevin McCuller a lot. I think he's going to have an opportunity to maybe get some steals in this game, right? If he's match, if he's playing on ball defense a lot against a guy like Raquan Battle, and uh, he's been doing really, really well at filling the back the, the box score as well. And I like KJ Adams a lot. His rebounding has picked up, and he has shown to be a very, very strong scoring option for Kansas as well. So I went with uh, KJ Adams. Derek followed that up by picking Johnny Furphy and Parker Brown with his next two picks. Uh, with Furphy, of course, you saw the high upside that he could show against Oklahoma State. Uh, you'd love to see him do that again against West Virginia and continue to, to build more confidence. And I uh, touched on this with Brian Haney, a uh, voice of the Jayhawks, on yesterday's show about Johnny Furphy and his aggressiveness and his confidence to score. And that is fantastic. You love to see that. And what really helps with Furphy is that in his position, Furphy is not expected to be a high-volume scorer consistently you know at best he's the third option or fourth option right behind Kevin McCuller KJ Adams and, and, and KJ and uh, Hunter Dickinson so he is not expected to be a guy that's going to go out and score in a high volume but when you have a player like that who is not afraid to be aggressive and take advantage of the opportunities to score when they come to him and it, and it's in the game flow that's what most impressed me about Johnny Furphy in the Oklahoma State game, and would love to see more of that. And also, of course, Furphy did a lot of other great things as well in the Oklahoma State game. Had seven rebounds, had a couple nice offensive rebounds, had a couple blocks and some steals as well. So uh, kind of can do it all, I think, at the, from that fifth starting position. So Derek goes to Johnny Furphy. And then Parker Brown is sort of uh, the pick there because of the fact that all year long, Derek has been picking Parker Brown. And I picked Parker Brown before the Oklahoma State game, and I won in pickock. So I think this was more of a pick by Derek of saying, Hands off Parker Brown, he's mine. 
Uh, so he takes Parker Brown with his second, with his uh, third pick. And then I round out my team on Pickahawk with Dewan Harris and Nick Timberlake. Dewan Harris has been a guy that has been hit or miss in Pickahawk because he doesn't always fill the stat sheet, right? Uh, you know, if he plays 35 minutes and only scores eight points, and even even if he has, you know, eight or nine or ten assists, it's still tough to get positive in Pickahawk. But I decided to go with my boy Dewan Harris and then round out my team with Nick Timberlake, who, again, I, I think Nick Timberlake has been very quietly coming along and starting to feel better about his role and uh, and growing into what he wants to become with this team. So I round out my selections with Nick Timberlake. Derek decided to go with Jamari McDowell as his last pick, uh, shunning El Marco Jackson uh, because in, in Pickhawk, El Marco Jackson has been particularly bad because in the last couple of games he's been playing still 15, 20 minutes per game, but hasn't really been putting up uh, any sort of box score type numbers. So Derek avoids El Marco and goes with Jamari McDowell instead. So that rounds out our team. Both of us have four players on our team. Derek has Hunter Dickinson, Johnny Furphy, and Parker Brown, along with Jamari McDowell. My team, Kevin McCuller, KJ Adams, Dewan Harris, and Nick Timberlake. So Kansas going to Morgantown to take on West Virginia tomorrow afternoon. And we'll get into our KU basketball game picks for this game against West Virginia. Uh, these lines come to you from DraftKings. For KU basketball game picks, I've been not very good. I'm 25 and 20 and 1. Derek is 28 and 17. And one on Pickhawk or on uh, excuse me, game picks so far for this season. Kansas is minus 10 on the road against West Virginia. That's a pretty big line. West Virginia is the worst team in the Big 12. When you look at the metrics, they are significantly worse than Oklahoma State, who is significantly worse than the third-worst team, which is UCF. There's a very big drop-off. UCF is 74 in Ken Palm, and then there's a significant, significant gap to get to Oklahoma State, who's at 115, and then there's an even another large gap to get to West Virginia, who is sitting at 141 overall in Ken Palm. So uh, the metrics tell you that West Virginia is not very good, and that's reflected, right? Kansas was 6.5-point favorites against Oklahoma State on the road. West Virginia is about 26 spots worse metrically than than Oklahoma State is, and Kansas, as such, is 10-point favorites. I'm going to take Kansas. I'm going to take Kansas. I think based off the how the Oklahoma State game played out, I think Kansas is going to come in and spire once again on the road against West Virginia, and I think Bill Self is going to instill in Kansas the significance of winning on the road in this conference, regardless of the opponent, and I think Kansas will come out uh, and, again, have a nice start. I don't think they necessarily need to have a, a start like they did against Oklahoma State, but a start to where the crowd can't really, really get into it. You know, basically, don't let West Virginia have a good start. Uh, and I'll take Kansas here, minus the 10. Derek has gone with West Virginia, and I think that makes a lot of sense, right? I think the West Virginia pick makes a lot of sense. Uh, they're, they're at home. It's been nearly impossible for teams to win on the road this season, uh, except for basically at Oklahoma State. West Virginia beat Texas at home. They did lose by 14 to Kansas State, though. But uh, Derek has gone with West Virginia. But I like Kansas. Over-under is 146.5. I'm going to go with the over here. I think Kansas has figured some things out with Johnny Furphy. I think that's going to allow them to score the ball quite a bit more, as it did for them against Oklahoma State. I like the over here. I think Kansas, again, has an opportunity to put up 80-plus points, and if they do that, you're only looking at needing basically you know, 65 maybe. You know, if, if you get 81 or if you get 80 from – from Kansas, you would need 67 from uh, West Virginia to hit that number. So I like the over. Derek has gone with the over as well at 146.5 for this game. And uh, on to our favorite uh, prop bets of the game. 
Derek has gone with Hunter Dickinson over 18.5 points. He's coming off a 21-point point performance against Oklahoma State. And certainly with no Jesse Edwards, you would expect Kansas may be going to Hunter Dickinson early and often to try to exploit the fact that West Virginia doesn't necessarily have a secondary big man that can uh, step into the shoes left by Edwards, if assuming he doesn't play, which by all accounts it sounds like he's not going to play. Uh, head coach for West Virginia, Josh, Al- Josh Eilert, had mentioned actually on a radio show last night that they were going to get Edwards evaluated this morning and start re- the rehab process. That, to me, does not sound like a statement that would indicate that he's going to be playing uh, tomorrow afternoon against Kansas. So Derek has gone with Hunter Dickinson over 18.5 points. I've gone with K.J. Adams over 13.5 points. I thought about Kevin McCuller. I thought about going back to the well with Kevin McCuller. Kevin McCuller's number, by the way, is also 18.5 points. But I've decided to go with K.J. Adams instead. He has been quietly a really, really strong scorer. Uh, and, and I think you know Johnny Furphy stole the spotlight with his performance in the first half against Oklahoma State. K.J. Adams was equally great, I thought, uh, for Kansas in that game against Oklahoma State. Finished with 16 points in the game. I like K.J. Adams over 13.5 points uh, for my favorite prop bet for this game between Kansas and West Virginia. Jayhawks head to Morgantown. That game you can hear right here on KLWN. Once again, it's tip-off at 3 o'clock here on KLWN. We are going to be airing coverage of the KU women's game ahead of the men's game with uh, pregame coverage starting at 1245 for the KU women in the Sunflower Showdown against Kansas State and tip-off for that game at 1 o'clock. So it should be ending right around 3, and then we'll get you immediately over to coverage of the KU men's game. If you do want to hear all of our broadcast pregame coverage on the Jayhawk Radio Network for the KU men's game, you'll be able to hear that on our sister station with 105.9 KISS. But here on KLWN, we'll have the women's game leading into the men's game coming up tomorrow afternoon. Don't forget, you'll also be able to hear select coverage of Westwood One's broadcast coverage of the NFL division round of the playoffs, including the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills coming up on Sunday afternoon. Kevin Harlan will be on the call for Westwood One, uh, former Jayhawk and former voice of the Chiefs. You'll be able to hear him right here on KWN calling uh, that game for Westwood One on Sunday afternoon. I will take a time out here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. When we come back, we'll hear uh, from Nick Timberlake. He had a chance to sit down with the media and talk a little bit about his game and what that meant to have that big dunk against Oklahoma State that got on SportsCenter and so on and so forth. So hear from Nick Timberlake, the Towson transfer coming up on the other side. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.